God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our paths. We thank you for the instruction that your word brings us, the correction, God, the hope it brings us, the life it brings us. Lord, we ask that your spirit would just speak to our hearts, God. Lord, let, let not my words be the words that people hear, but rather your words, God. We pray all of this for the glory of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. We are back in the book of Colossians this week. After taking a break last week for the uh, fourth anniversary service for Zion, love you, Zion. It's been an incredible ride so far, and I cannot wait to see what God has for us this year. Um, but I'm ready to get back to Colossians. So two weeks ago, Johnny did an incredible job of walking us through the first nine verses of the chapter. Uh, in those verses, just to quickly recap, Paul is, in this part of the letter, instructing us on Christian maturity, right? The first part of his instruction was identifying the different things that we need to put off as Christians in order to be mature. Now, what we're going to discuss this week is the second part of that, which is what are the different things that we need to put on in order to grow in maturity in Christ? So let's jump right into the word. Grab your Bibles and flip it open to Colossians chapter 3, verses 10 through 17, starting in verse 10. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there's no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were indeed called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God the Father through him. Amen. All right, so where we left off, again, Paul is talking about all the different things that we need to put off in order for us to become mature in Christ and jumps right into what are the different things that we're going to need to put on as Christians in order to grow in maturity. Now, the, the things that we're going to get into, um, I like to call them aspects of maturity in Christ or indications of um, this, this maturity in Christ. They actually all relate to Christ. Um, and in verse 10, what we see is that the basis of our identity is found in the person and work of Christ. The way Paul phrases this is, now having put on the new self, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That image is the work and person of Christ. That's what we're talking about here. Our new selves or our new identity is based on the reflection of Christ, what he looks like, what he's done. That's the basis of everything. 
Now, again, in typical Paul fashion, he leads up to this point way, way, way back in the beginning of this letter when he uh, beautifully describes the person and the work of Christ. In chapter one, uh, we see Paul say things like, referring to Christ, he is the visible image of the invisible God. He is before all things and all things hold together in him. All things are created by him, through him and for him. He has reconciled us to God. He has hidden us in himself. Why does Paul do this? Why does Paul take time to unpack who Jesus is, what Jesus has done? Right, what does that have to do with our maturity? So obviously we know Paul's the type of guy who likes to argue. And so he is very methodical. He's very logical and rational about how he builds his arguments. The, the, the point here in, in describing or looking back at the image of Christ to understand how we are to put on our new selves or uh, how we are to understand our new identities, the point of this is that through the knowledge of Christ, who he is, what he's done, we have a better understanding of who we are and how we should conduct ourselves as Christ, uh, as Christians, right? Our, uh, our identities are based solely on him. Now, in order for us to put on this new self, this new identity, like this has to sink in for us, right? Ultimately, as we know Christ, we come to know who we are and how we should conduct ourselves. Realization is huge, right? Um, I, I don't know if you've ever done first class or flown first class. I, I did it for the first time as an adult uh, in 2019. And it honestly, it, it changed my travel experience dramatically. Um, prior to traveling first class in 2019 for work, um, sometimes, not all times, um, what I would do is I would travel economy because obviously I'm trying to save money here. I'm not trying to spend money. I'm not a baller. Um, but whenever I traveled economy, right, my experience traveling was always very like, uh, anxious, right? Um, I, I was always trying to figure out, you know, how do I, can I avoid the, the, the most amount of lines? How can I get it on the plane quicker? You know, how can I get to my seat? How can I make sure my stuff is secure? Right. I, I was always anxious. Um, the way I thought about travel, was just, it was just awful. Like I hated it. Like I, I didn't enjoy it. So I would always show up, I would wear sweats because, you know, I don't want to be like stuck in economy, like next to people, like getting hot and stuff. I, I, I dressed differently. I thought differently. It, it, it was just, it was a mess of an experience for me. Now, when I first did first class, it, again, night and day, <laughs> my experience went from being anxious about everything to being absolutely calm and relaxed. I didn't have to wait in long lines. Um, I got access to lounges. I got when I got on the plane, you know, there was a space for my stuff. I don't have to like worry about my luggage three seats behind me. I I even acted differently because of this experience, right? Whereas before I would like scheme and try to get on the plane as you know quickly as possible by jumping the line. I I took my time. I like I dressed differently. I, I wore button-down shirts and jeans and, and shoes because I knew I was gonna be in somewhere comfortable and that I'm not gonna have to rush to get to where I need to, right? I, I went from being, you know, David St. Jean in economy to David St. Jean in first class, right? I'm a, I'm a new man. I got a new self on. And that's because I realized, like, I don't need a rush. I'm, I'm the most important passenger on this plane because I'm in first class, right? So very much like us as Christians, when we put on this new self, our, our attitude changes, what we do, our motivations, our conduct all of that changes because we realize who we are now in Christ. 
Now, part of understanding our identity and how it's rooted in Christ is understanding that our identity in him supersedes any of our cultural identities. Paul says in, in, in verse 11, right? Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is extremely important for us to understand as a church, especially in our context. Right? Very much like the, the Colossian church, we are a multi-ethnic church. And we do work and ministry in a multi-ethnic city, probably the most culturally diverse place in the entire planet. So understanding that our identity as Christians come before our identities as New Yorkers or as Haitians or as Democrats or as rich people or poor people, that, that's super important. Because if we don't understand that, hey, we are all one in Christ and before anything else, we're Christians, it leads to destruction, it leads to sin, it leads to decay. Right, Justin talked about this in his last sermon last week. Right? Um, there was an issue in the early church because the Hellenistic widows were not being treated with the same type of care and love and support as the Hebrew widows. And again, we see how these, distinct, uh, these distinctions rather in culture can often lead to us being divided and showing partiality based on you know, who we are and who we're dealing with. That cannot exist in a church, right? This is the problem with things like Christian nationalism, right? It's, I'm an American first before I'm a Christian. So I can treat you, you know, X, Y, and Z way because you're not American and what you're doing is un-American. That, that's, that's all garbage, right? Before the gospel, we are all Christians and that's our identity first before we're anything else. So again, whether you are black, white, Asian, rich, poor, Democrat, Republican, short, tall, funny, not funny, we are Christians first. And our identity in Christ supersedes anything that would ever mark us, whether it be culture, ethnicity, socioeconomic status. Now, in saying that, I, I'm not, this is not an endorsement to shame you for who you are, right? I love the fact that we are a multicultural church, right? I love the fact that I can go to one person's house and I can have paella and I can go to another person's house and have, you know, shawarma. I can go to this person's neighborhood and have Chinese food, right? That's something that we should celebrate, right? All these different cultures all coming under one banner, all coming under one identity in Christ. So, you know, be proud to be whoever you are. And I, again, I love the fact that we are so different as a church, and I've said it many times before, the, the, the vision of us worshiping God together is beautiful to me. And it feels like a small taste of heaven. So if you think your culture is higher and you know, better than anyone, else, anyone else's cultures, you have a thing coming for you. Because in heaven, there'll be so many other cultures in heaven with you, but Christ will be our banner. Christ will be our, our identity. So get used to it if you're not now. So to summarize where we are so far, our identity is based solely in the work of Christ. It's based solely on his person. Our identities as Christians take precedent over any of our cultural, ethnic, socioeconomic identities. So understanding those two major points 
now we can embrace and understand what does it mean to be a mature Christian. So let's jump right into verses 12 through 16. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put it on love, excuse me, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Be thankful. I'm going to interrupt our sermon really quickly for a short PSA. Um, this is brought to you by Jesus Christ. Um, church, I, I want you to realize that God loves you. God loves you. He's not in love with some future version of you that's more mature. He is in love with you as you are today, right? The word says that he loved us even while we were sinners. He saved us. He's called us to himself and he loves us. So whatever you're doing, whatever you got on your mind, however your week has gone so far, or what place you are in life, take a minute and just let that sink in. God loves you. You are his beloved, and he set you apart to be his people. That concludes our PSA. The more you know. All right, going back into Colossians, right? Paul is talking to believers here. I think that's a very important distinction to make. He's talking to Christians. He's not talking to non-Christians. He's talking to people in a church. Now, what he's going to describe for us is a model for how we are to engage with each other. Um, if you've ever been in a church, uh, I don't know if this has been your first church you've been a part of, but you will learn very, very quickly that living relationally with each other is very hard, right? Because we're all sinners um, and it's not, it's not easy. It's not easy, especially when you're dealing with other New Yorkers. New York has its own culture, right? And, and there are many different neighborhoods and there are subcultures within there. There are so many different things that inform our identity as Christians in New York, right? And these different things that form our identity as New Yorkers oftentimes clash with what Christ calls us to be in our context. Some examples, right? These are the code of ethics for New Yorkers. Do you, right? At the end of the day, do what makes you happy, do what's best for you, look out for yourself. That's tied in with uh, the idea of like looking out for numero uno, right? Like looking out for you. Whatever's gonna do best for me or make me happy, that's what I'm gonna do. And you do that for yourself too, right? I'm not gonna mind, mind your business, I'll mind my business, look out for yourself. Code of ethic number one. Another one, don't let anybody punk you. This is something my older brother taught me, this is something you just learn, right? Like no one punks you in New York, you gotta handle your business. Like if you don't, then you're soft and people are just gonna run all over you, right? You, you don't do that. Like you take care of your business and you got nobody punk you. If you gotta fight somebody, you fight them. That's just the way it is. Another one, cut off anyone who wrongs you, right? Like that phrase, like, you're dead to me. Like if you, if you cross the line, like that's it. Like I don't know you, we don't talk, we don't mess anymore, like it, it's over. That's, that's a way of life in New York. This is my, my favorite one. Show love to those who show love to you. 
All right, you got your circle, you got the people that you mess with. If I don't mess with you, you don't mess with me, I, don't, I have no business with you. I, I don't need to call you, I don't need to engage you. That's why New Yorkers are so push standoffish. Like if I don't know you, why am I gonna talk to you? I have no business with you. I'm only gonna be with the people that know me, that love me, that show me respect. That's how it is in New York. Unfortunately, that's not gonna run it in the church. Right? That, that, that's not good. You can't bring that stuff here to Zion, you can't bring that to any church. Because that's not who we are, ultimately. Who we are is, again, founded in who Christ is, what he's done. So, fair warning. We're, we're about to look at the different aspects of what, it, uh, of what we need to put on as Christians in order to be mature. So it's, it's going to get a little practical. Um, we're going to talk about you know, what these different aspects of being, uh, putting on our new self mean and how they look like. So... Jumping into verse 12. Put on compassionate hearts. As Christians who are looking to mature, we are to care for each other. We are to give generously of our time, our resources to our brothers and sisters. What this looks like, I love the way it looks like in Zion. Uh, we have a benevolence fund. And what that fund does, it, it provides assistance to folks who may be going through some financial hardship. Um, it, it, it has provided meals for families who, who don't have otherwise, um, provided meals for newborn, families with newborns. Um, it, it takes care of the needs of people who have those needs. Like that's, that's compassion. That's giving of yourself, giving of your time, your energy to help someone else. Right? Uh, another way I see that done in, in Zion. We, we are we're really good at grieving with one another. Like I remember when my father died uh, like two years ago. Um, I, can't, I can't count how many people called. I can't count how many people came by and visit, who sat down, who, who brought food, who just told jokes so we could laugh or just smile, just showed up when, when it counted, right? This is giving up of yourself, of your time, of your energy in order to love someone else, right? This is what it means to be compassionate and to put on compassionate hearts. Put on kindness. We ought to treat each other in love, right? Very much unlike the standoffish, rude, typical nature of a New Yorker. This is something that honestly I, I pray for because most of you know me, I'm, I'm pretty easygoing person. I'm sure I've been pretty nice to you. Um, but there are certain things that honestly are just that don't make me very kind. Um, one of those things, I mentioned it before in sermons, I hate what people say on social media. Um, people, because they, ha they can hide behind a keyboard, they, and they don't have to deal a lot of times with the consequences of talking crazy in front of someone, they'll say whatever they want to say. And I, it's been something that's been triggering for me since last year, everything from like the whole uh, George Floyd situation to even the rise in the Capitol last week. It's like, I, I'm talking about Christians here. I'm not even talking about non-Christians who don't know the faith. I'm talking about me having a, a difficult time being kind towards people who are Christians, but say the craziest things online, right? Christ calls me, as he calls you, to put on kindness, to not treat others the way that the New Yorker in you would want you to, but treat them and see them the way Christ sees us and treats us. So that, that's what it means to put on kindness and Again, the people at Zion, I've seen this done over and over again, and people opening up their homes, their lives, 
to complete strangers, which is, again, very, very opposite of what New Yorkers do. So put on kindness. Put on humility. The idea with humility is we are to never think of ourselves better than others, more deserving than others. I've seen humility expressed I, most recently, best in our pastor, Justin. Um, when we first started off as a church, especially at IS30, you guys know we had to do the breakup and set up every single week. And that, again, that's, that's a story for another day. To cut it short, like it, 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 it involved a lot of work, physical labor, a lot of time that you're sacrificing early mornings, back pains, like a, a lot of stuff. And Justin was one of the first people in, in the morning, one of the last people out at night. Now, Justin could have easily pulled his pastor card. And I, I know pastors who, they have pastor cards for every situation, right? Like, they would never do that. They come in, sit on their throne on the stage, preach a sermon, maybe ask you for some money, and then they take off. Or, you know, maybe they just stay in the back, you know, backstage room and... Like, if, if you want access to them, you need to have a pass or you need credentials. Justin is not like that at all. Justin, I saw him, again, break his back, moving, pushing things, driving U-Haul trucks, and then also making time to greet people, to talk to people, to get to know them, invite them into his home, right? He was accessible, right? He, he didn't play his pastor card. He didn't get puffed up with pride. For him, he knew the work of God was more important than his own comfort, his own um, life, honestly, his own time sometimes, his resources, his heart was for the glory of God and people's good. So thank you, Justin. Uh, we don't say it enough, but we love you. And thank you for leading us in this example of humility. Next, put on meekness. Meekness, meekness gets confused oftentimes with weakness, right? If some you say, hey, someone's meek, that means, hey, they're passive, they're shy. That, that's not what meekness means at all, because Christ is even disguised, uh, described as meek, right? What meekness is, is controlled strength. That, that, that's a beautiful way to describe meekness. It's controlled strength. I think of people like Mike Vigo or Juan Morales or Faith Sanchez, Margie Perez. I think of people like Dave Gilbert, Clark, Heather. These are people who have an immense amount of physical, mental, spiritual strength. And they don't take that strength and use it to harm others or to oppress others, like we're often taught to do, but they use their strength rather to help others, to guide them, to encourage them, to lead them, to care for them, to protect them. That's what it means to be meek. I, I don't suggest that you try to cross them because Again, they're still New Yorkers and they'll, they'll put you in your place. But again, they're great examples of what it means to be controlled in your strength, meekness. Put on patience and I'll tie this into bearing with one another. Um, like I said, walking and being in relationship with other Christians is not easy. It, it can be very draining, very hard, very frustrating, but we're still called to patiently endure each other's burdens, patiently walk with um, our brothers and sisters. And I think of people in our church who walk with new Christians, who spend the time answering, answering questions and having meals with them, getting to know them, 
um, the, the people in our church who are helping those who are struggling with sin. Like, this takes a lot of patience. House church leaders, people who lead like the, the women's ministry and the men's ministry. This takes a lot of Z kids. Oh my God, I can't believe I forgot Z kids. I didn't even put that in my notes. The Holy Spirit just told me if you work in Z kids, this is the grace that is on you patience and bearing with one another. I can't babysit a kid for five, five hours. I don't know how you guys do this every single week. This is, this is beautiful. Patience. Patience is something that we must put on. Bearing with one another and bearing each other's burdens, that is a hallmark of Christian maturity. Next, put on forgiveness. We are called to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. There, there can't be grudges in the hearts of believers. I know it's a New Yorker thing, but it's not something that identifies a mature Christian. And, and, and the reason why that can't be is because as Christians, we should understand what it means to be forgiven because we know that Christ has forgiven us. He's forgiven us of our sins and he's saved us from his wrath and hell and he's given us life and eternity with him. So we are called to extend that same love, extend that same grace to our brothers and sisters who oftentimes they, they do, they, they, they harm us, you know, whether we physically, emotionally, spiritually, we're called to forgive as we've been forgiven. Put on peace. I know it's not part of the, the verses, it's a little after uh, verse 16, but same idea. Uh, the idea here is that when we put on peace, we have, what we're saying is we have the assurance that no matter what happens in this life, we have Christ. And if we have Christ, we have everything we need. So as a church, what does that look like? Losing our, our school where we had our services, having to transition into a place where we have no, you know, one place to congregate together, but having to split up into different houses, that, that's a cause for someone to, you know, really feel disappointed and discouraged. But ultimately, we know that if we have Christ as a body, as believers, no matter where we're meeting, no matter how it looks, we know that we're, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. We're going to be fine because we have Christ and he's our assurance. So that peace settles into our hearts and it guides the way we look at situations as a church and individually as believers. Now, to, to tie all of these different components of um, mature Christian living, Paul says, put on love. This is huge because you can do everything Paul describes. You can be humble. You can forgive people. You can have peace. You can have patience. But you can do it with wrong motives. You can do it out of pride because, hey, if I show this person kindness or if I, I show generosity, people will look at me and think I'm such a great person. That is a very real reason to be generous or compassionate. Or you can do it out of guilt. You can do it for a, a whole bunch of different reasons that are terrible. Paul is trying to drive home the point that if you don't do any of these things, if you don't put on any of these different characteristics of the mature Christian life, if you're not doing it from love, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. The, the way I like to think about love, and the Bible describes love a bunch of different ways. Uh, one of the main ways is, you know, laying down your life for someone else, right? 
and is shown in action, is showed in deed, in word. But one of my favorite ways of thinking about love, and I think it ties so, so beautifully with this book and everything Paul has been saying so far, it's a definition from John Piper, who's a pastor. And just to paraphrase, love is doing whatever it takes so that someone else is able to love and treasure Christ more than anything else. We see this in Christ. In order for us, his church, to know him, to love him, and treasure him more than anything else, he gives his life. He leaves his comfort. He comes into our existence, and he suffers and dies on the cross. And he does all of this so that we might know him that we might enjoy him and treasure him more than anything else. That's love. That's why we forgive others. That's why we put on humility. This is why we put on compassion, right? We're doing this for the good of someone else so that they might know God and experience God's love through our actions and learn and grow to treasure him and ultimately become more mature. So that, that's, uh, that's why, again, Paul drives us home with the idea of love. Now, all right, we just we went through the different things that we need to do to put on um, our new selves and, and, and become more mature. One of the things that we need to just be very, very aware of is that in order for us to grow in maturity and to continue our growth in maturity, we need to grow in our knowledge of Christ's word. Uh, this is verse 16. Let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God, right? This is a huge aspect of growing mature in Christ. We need to dwell in, dwell in his word, and his word is essentially himself. So we, we see, again, Paul talk about this early in, the, in the, the chapter, that we are to base our new lives, our new selves, our identities on the work and person of Christ. So Paul shows us a couple of different ways that we can continue to dwell and abide in Christ. So the first way is teaching. Um, it's why we preach from the Bible every single week as a church. Like you're, you're not going to hear our like, like really cool ideas or uh, a motivational speech on a Sunday. Uh, you're, you're never going to see that from Zion. And that's because we believe in order for us to grow as a church, we need to be dwelling in Christ's word. We need to be preaching and teaching his word. That's why we do Bible studies why we have the devotionals online, we need to dwell in Christ's word. Another way we can continue to dwell in Christ's word is through musical worship. The reason why we sing songs as Christians is to increase our knowledge of Christ and our love for him, right? The, the songs that we sing, they, they tell the truth of who he is and what he's done. And that's why we sing, right? If you don't sing during church, this is a good reason to, to sing, right? We sing because we want to increase our love and knowledge of Christ. And as we dwell in him, like I mentioned before, the more we get to know him, the more we know who we are ourselves and we know how it is that we should conduct ourselves as Christians. This is how we get to be mature. Now, why, why is it important that we pursue maturity in Christ? Why should we do all these things out of love? Why should we put on humility? Why should we love each other? Why should we do all the different things that Paul lays out in this part of the book. That's answered for us in verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. 
This is the true motivation behind Christian maturity. Whatever we do or say, we do as representatives of Christ. Paul in Romans, he refers to the church as the new Israel. Now, if you don't know, Israel was the people of God. He chose this, this particular nation for no, no reason. They weren't like incredible or super cool. Like he just chose them. He chose them. And the point of him choosing these people was so that through them, through their conduct, through their worship, his glory would be displayed to the entire planet. That, that's the point of the church now, right? We can think of ourselves as the new Israel. God, he gave Moses laws. He gave Moses instructions for living, for worship. And that was for, again, the benefit of the people, but then ultimately for the glory of his name among the nations. And this is our motivation as a church. This is why we exist. We exist to display the glory and the splendor of Christ. Ties again into everything Paul is saying. Everything has been done by Christ, for Christ, through Christ, for his glory. That's the purpose of the church. This is why we need to pursue maturity. Um, when I was in, uh, in Tavarshide at Baruch, you know, we had, we had a ton of people, you know, as a part of our community. We had non-Christians, we had Christians, um, and they would, like, have uh, meals with us. They would go on trips with us. There was this one person in particular who came on a retreat with us. And this guy sat through all the sessions, all the, the musical worship, the preaching, and he wasn't a Christian. Um, I asked him afterwards, like, honestly, what, what are you doing here? <laughs> like, like why, why are you here? Right? You could be anywhere else. Why, why are you here? And he's like, honestly, I see something different in you people. The way you people treat each other, the way you love each other, the way you love people who are you know, not Christians, that's special. I, I've never seen that anywhere else. And I, I just want to be here. Now, what this person wasn't seeing, rather, I'll, I'll rephrase that, what this person was seeing was the grace, the work, the person of Christ through what we were doing. Right? He only saw so deep. He saw our actions. But what I pray one day, again, he comes to faith. But when he does come to faith, he'll realize that what he was seeing is not, you know, great people and great relationships and friendships, he was seeing the person and work of Christ manifested through our actions. And this is what the world needs. This is what the, lo the world longs for. And this is why, as a church, we need to pursue maturity. This is why we need to put on our new selves that are based in the image of our creator, Christ. This is the best thing for the world. The best thing for the world is to see the glory of God and experience it. And ultimately, it works out for their benefit as well. So our commitment to growing in, in maturity will accomplish two things. One, God will be glorified among the nations. Think about your coworkers, your neighbors. Think about the people you engage with every single day. His glory will be displayed. And when people see his glory, they experience his glory. They marvel. They want to know what's going on. That's why for some of you who are in this church, you're like, I just came to a meeting and for some reason I never left. I just kept coming back. You were being pulled in by the glory of God. Because once you get a taste of it, you, you can't have anything else. Nothing else will satisfy. That's the first reason why we need to pursue maturity. The second reason is, it's for the good of all people. It's good when people are forgiven. It's good when people receive compassion. It's good when families are fed when they're hungry 
or given resources when they're in need. Our maturity is a blessing to the world, which ultimately rises all back to Christ. So in conclusion, just want to summarize some of the things that we talked about today. The person and work of Christ is the basis of our new selves or our identity. Our identity as Christians supersede our cultural, ethnic, and socioeconomic identities. As Christians, we are called to a new way of living. The word of Christ is essential to our continued maturity. And finally, we must pursue maturity in Christ for the sake of his glory among the nations and for the good of the world. Pray with me. Jesus, we thank you because you love us, because you've chosen us, because you have equipped us with your spirit to accomplish all of these different things, God. On the grand scheme of things, God, it's hard to, to, to grow and to mature as a Christian because there's so much fighting against us. Lord, I, I pray that we would, we would put everything we have towards growing in maturity in Christ. Our time, our energy, our resources, God, we would not give up this holy pursuit to be more and more renewed by the knowledge of the image of our creator. You are what we're after. And God, we want you to be glorified in this city, in our home, in our communities, in this world, because that's what's best for our communities. That's what's best for our, our neighbors, our family members, our friends, your glory. And God, so we pray that you would help us to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.